You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 496 of this podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 9th, 2022, and that means that it is also the day after the election. The midterm election was yesterday, but it's still, in some sense, going on, it feels like. What had been predicted to be a red wave or a red tsunami might have actually just been wish-casting. It might have been that Republicans were thinking to themselves, Nationwide, there's no way we can lose. Two years, four years, six years, eight years. How many years does it take of Democrat policies driving up the cost of things and putting us in danger before they lose big at the ballot box? But on the one hand, I am disappointed. On the other hand, I'm not entirely surprised. I I am disappointed, but I'm not entirely surprised. One would imagine if there was any justice, decency, reasonableness, the Republicans should have just swept the field coast to coast. House, Senate, governorships, you name it. The trouble is what's forgotten here (laughs) when we're predicting what's going to happen with an election, how it's going to go. We forget a couple things. One, that all the dynamics that were in play two years ago are still in play in a few very important regards. One being the character of the American people has not changed dramatically, if at all. Republicans are still Republicans. Democrats are still Democrats. Independents are still independents. You have a fairly even split. On the one hand, Team Blue that wants entitlements and wants progress as they define it. And if they don't get progress as they define it, or if things get rolled back, they're very upset. And so there were (laughs) Democrats, there were talking hands in the media who were pointing to the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. They were pointing to that overturning of Roe v. Wade and saying a lot of Americans are going to be upset about that. So on the one hand, you had Republicans expecting, surely, 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 this midterm election has to be a referendum on Joe Biden. On the other hand, you had Democrats saying this election's got to be a referendum on the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And to some extent, I think both were correct. And then you've got the folks in the middle who, however bad it might be compared with a couple of years ago, their way of coping with all of the above has actually been to a large extent to just tune out, to stop paying attention to the news. They might vote one way or the other, but it's stressful. And so to some extent, it's so stressful that they don't really want to think about it over much 
too hard. And then besides that, who are they going to have helping them to think through it, right? If they are tuning out and they're just looking at some outlier um, here and there that affects them personally, but they're not really thinking big picture, how is this affecting the country? How is this affecting the world? They're hearing arguments on both sides. They don't know how to discern between the kinds of arguments that they're hearing on both sides. If they're tuning out and trying to avoid getting too political because they don't want to have people upset with them, they don't want to be upset by other people, well then, how exactly are they going to have their minds changed? Really? So that's uh, that's a feature, right? That's a feature of our situation is you've got the folks in the middle. You have the people on the Republican side who are paying attention, very close attention, who are saying, man, Biden's policies are disastrous. Man, the guy can't finish a sentence without tripping over it and it being incoherent. Man, John Fetterman clearly not firing on all cylinders, showing up with some weird growth on his neck and having had a stroke and his verbal ability, reasoning, cognitive ability being greatly impaired, a sweatshirt wearing giant of a Democrat with tattoos and all the rest. How can that guy win, right? Who could vote for that guy? On the other hand, you have Democrats saying, well, but abortion, right? If we vote for Republicans, they're going to change things. See, they're going to change things to go back to a more conservative posture. And even though the economy is concerning, if the Republicans start changing things and that upsets the people that I'm trying to ignore these things to avoid upsetting, well, I don't want that. That's going to make life more stressful. Yes, costs are higher, but the costs of groceries and fuel and utilities and all the rest being higher, however much stress that adds, it doesn't add as much stress as a bunch of angry Democrats would to my life. So you have this kind of tepid in the middle. Let's just maintain, right? Let's just keep things steady the way that they are. And we'll see what happens, right? We'll see what happens in two more years. Also, too, you've got Republicans... Losing in several key ways. One way being to try and race to the moderate position and water down what it is that they're for and hem and haw until they're not clear and you don't know what they stand for and they don't really stand for anything except for getting elected. And that's not a good look. Banking too much on a wave of sentiment that's against Democrats, but not really putting in that hard work to build up likability or conviction or to persuade people of what you're for, why they should vote for you. Yeah, the other guy's bad, but if the voter thinks you're just as bad and maybe even worse because <clears throat> you're presumptuous, well, why, why, why are they going to vote for you? They, they might just flip a coin. I saw that in particular with the Republican candidate for California governor. But even in other places, you know, I'm listening and I'm thinking, hey, it sounds to me as though Republicans should win in these places where COVID lockdowns and COVID measures were very 
painful to a lot of the residents of those states or those jurisdictions. Republicans should win in those places. Look at Ron DeSantis winning in Florida, right? He's done very, very well politically there, and he just won re-election. And there's a lot of folks who voted for him in Florida who would love to see him go on to the White House in two years. But here's the problem, right? (laughs) He is not all Republicans. Reasons why he won in Florida are not necessarily to be copy-pasted onto other Republican candidates in places like, for instance, Colorado or California, where, yes, there was a lot of unpopularity to the COVID lockdowns, for instance. There's a lot of unpopularity to the energy policy and what that's doing for prices at the pump. But there's also this tendency among Republicans to water themselves down and basically mix in half and half between what the Democrats are proposing or against or for and what otherwise somebody like a Ron DeSantis would propose or be for. What's often forgotten when you do that is you blur the lines between why somebody should vote for you and why they should vote for the other guy. It's a gamble. If there's no difference, well, then we might as well just keep the person who's been in there in there and see if they can pull this out. If you're just going to do a lot of the same stuff or when there is a difference, your opponent can bully you into backing off and basically just giving their policies as a prescription, but light, or they can get you to back off of taking a position. All you're doing is attacking and being negative about their position. I think what you get is what we're seeing right now in the polling numbers the day after the midterm election. We're seeing what would have been, should have been, was expected to be a huge Republican win in the House and a decent, at least sufficient, Republican win in the Senate, turning into, eh, meh. And it's interesting, too, because I I talk with friends of mine in the run-up to the midterm, and even yesterday, I reached out to several to ask them, what do you think? And I got a lot of meh. I got a lot of, yeah, I don't think it's going to make any difference. You know, for one friend, the response was, yeah, the pendulum's going to swing a little bit, but we're headed for disaster anyways, so what does it matter? And I got a response from another friend that basically was, I don't think there's going to be a sweeping of the field for Republicans. I think Republicans will win in some places that they weren't expected to, and I think they'll lose in some places they were expected to win, and not much will change. And I I look at that, I think to myself, even among those who really, really want a big change, there's a fatalism. There's a fatalism with regards to the character of the American people, that the character of the American people is not so good, increasingly corrupt, increasingly selfish, and putting the blinders on and not really caring what's going on, not really having principles, I should say, that are fixed being very short attention span, very fickle, very flighty, very easily spooked, very easily manipulated. There's this sense of fatalism 
with regards to the character of the American people and the character of our institutions, for that matter. Even when you say, for instance, with regards to the character of the American people, I think the American people are going to vote overwhelmingly for Republicans. You also have headlines running yesterday at Not The Bee and Daily Wire highlighting a story from ABC News predicting that just like 2020, we're going to see a red mirage with regards to high turnout for Republican voters on Election Day. And then we're going to see the mail-in ballots erase that red mirage, and we're going to see Democrats win. Get ready, because this is going to take days and weeks. Why does it take so long to count? Why is it that we used to be able to count the votes the day of? I keep hearing that question, too, among pundits, talking heads. Why does it take so long? Why can't we have election day? Why does it feel as though we're being told Democrats are going to cheat? The establishment is going to cheat. Well, regardless of whether they are or they aren't, the conviction, the sinking suspicion is that it really doesn't matter what the character of the American people is with regards to voting, because the character of the American people, even if they all voted Republican, for instance, they're not necessarily going to see their elected candidate elected, basically. And really, I I know this might be an abstract way to think of it, but I compare our elections to abortion because basically what you have is you have a party on the left, you have the Democrats engaging in the same kind of reasoning with regards to election outcomes that they engage in and employ with regards to unborn children. Basically, it is what they want it to be. If they can't see it, if they can't see this little boy or this little girl in the mother's womb, well, then it's not a person yet. It's not a human being yet. To kill it is not murder yet. It's not even something to be upset about. Unless someone tells you you can't. If someone says you can't, well, then that's something to be upset about. Very, very upset. But someone getting upset that an abortion would happen that that would be murder, that this is an unborn child, that's not something to get upset about. It's upsetting if you're told, no, you can't get an abortion. No, you cannot murder this unborn child. Well, so also with the election. If a Republican candidate is favored to win, is looking like they've won it on election night, tell people it's going to take days or even weeks, perhaps, before we can count all of the ballots that we need for the Democrat to win. The same kind of reasoning in the case of abortion is applied to the election process. It is what I want it to be. It is what I say it is. And insofar as Democrats believe more strongly in their right to govern or to write the laws or to interpret the laws or to enforce the laws, insofar as they believe strongly enough to cheat the way that they do, and to lie the way that they do, so long as Republicans, so long as conservatives don't believe in the rightness and the truth of what they're proposing, enough to stop the steal, to stop the cheating, to stop the lying, this is what it's going to be. 
this is what we will get more and more of. And so I think it is. I think it is what we're going to get more and more of. Some of my friends asked me for my predictions right back after I asked what they thought was going to happen with yesterday. And I said, quite frankly, if there were any justice, Republicans would win big. But given that I believe there was massive widespread cheating and fraud in the 2020 election, I don't expect any justice this time around either. If the Democrats cheated in 2020, I fully expect them to cheat in 2022 as well. And for that matter, in 2024, I expect the cheating will continue apace. And yes, there are a lot of Democrats who decided to switch and start voting Republican and the trends look great there. But then the trouble is, so long as one side is willing to cheat more than the other side is committed to stopping them from cheating, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't actually matter. And that's the consensus among the friends that I asked. It doesn't matter what the polls show. It doesn't matter even who got more votes. An additional mechanism has been secreted in, which Republicans don't have the stones to check. And that additional mechanism is the capacity for Democrats to justify and to rationalize dishonesty. So long as they're the ones in charge when the dust settles. And I think the only exceptions, as far as what the expected outcome was for yesterday and what we actually got, I think the only exceptions were places where you have very clear, very stark, very aggressive messaging on the part of Republicans as to what they're for. Ron DeSantis has been very clear. J.D. Vance in Ohio was very clear. Dr. Oz, the fact that he was famous and that he had not recently had a stroke and that he was running as a Republican was all I kept hearing as far as why anybody should vote for him. But he hasn't taken strong positions on the issues. He hasn't been known for that, like Ron DeSantis was. And so I think a lot of Republicans, they shrug and they think, you know, if I'm going to vote for you just because you're a Republican, but you're moderate, you're mushy, I don't know what you stand for, I, except winning, except getting an election in your favor, that's not exciting. I'm not going to tell my friends about it. I'm not going to argue in your defense. There's nothing I can say that wouldn't be persuasive. It's self-evident what is up with John Fetterman. So I really can't sell that, that he's a bad candidate. Yeah, he's a bad candidate. That seems to be the consensus coast to coast, that the Democrats are fielding bad candidates, but Democrats are saying, I don't want to, I don't want to vote for the other guy. And Republicans, where Republican messaging was not very principled and not very clear and not very sure of what it's for and against, distinctives, the Republicans, it would seem, have lost. And it's a curious thing because we've got a former president in Trump going after DeSantis because DeSantis isn't Trump, because DeSantis might win if he runs in 2024. 
you've got Trump publicly threatening DeSantis, one of the very few exciting Republicans nationally right now, publicly threatening that if he runs in 2024, Trump is going to release some really damaging information, which is dirty. I mean, that's a dirty, dirty thing to say. It's a dirty thing to threaten. And it's a bad look for all involved. What's Trump playing at? If I can't win, nobody can win. Unfortunately, here's part of what I think is in the mix. I think you have Trump supporters who, similar to the never Trumpers, who regardless of Trump's accomplishments while he was in office, now that he's out of office, they just couldn't bring themselves to admit when he was right. Never Trumpers staked their reputation, like Jonah Goldberg, for instance, staked their reputation on Trump being bad news. And so even when he was right, even when he was winning, they couldn't bring themselves to admit it. And they couldn't bring themselves to support him or vote for him or argue in his defense against Democrats. Well, now that the shoe is on the other foot and among many Trump voters, Trump supporters, there's this deep resentment of a perceived betrayal by establishment Republicans in the 2020 election. Now that you have that, I almost think there is a desire to see America lose. If we can't have Trump, well then, good, fine, burn. And I think that's bad. I think that's ugly. I think that is not so good. I think that doesn't bode well for principled conservatism. So also on the side of Democrats, half of a dead baby, like the story of the two prostitutes who each accused the other one of trying to steal their child and brought their situation to King Solomon. Democrats would rather have half of a dead baby than the other woman get the whole live one. And I mean that with regards to abortion and election fraud. They've convinced themselves that democracy is on the line. Never mind that we have a constitutional republic with democratic features. No, no. When they say we need to vote to save our democracy, what they really are talking about is voting to have themselves be in charge still. But if it's heads I win, tails you lose, and Democrats are always supposed to win, and they're willing to cheat, and Republicans are not willing to stop them, what we will get is half of a dead baby. And I think that's part of the reasoning as well, though. There is this sense on the part of more peaceable conservatives and independents and moderates, people who are in the middle, who just don't want all the stress. They just don't want all the bother. There's this sense of just let them have it. Let them have it. We'll see what happens. Maybe it won't be so bad. I'll just mind my own business. We'll see how it turns out. Only instead of, like in the situation with Solomon and these two prostitutes, the one woman saying, oh no, she can have the baby. And then Solomon saying, ah, okay, the one who was willing to give up the baby to the other woman, she's the real mother here. We have no Solomon. We, we have no Solomon. The media is supposed to be that reporting just the facts, but they're activists. They have an agenda. They absolutely have a dog in the fight 
for Democrats, not for Republicans. And they're certainly not going to say, all right, the woman who was willing to give up the baby, she must be the real mother. Instead, they are part of this campaign and this push to get conservatives to give up on power, politically, socially, in all ways. See, however bad things get, objectively, Democrats will keep on claiming they only were bad because Republicans stood in their way. Gavin Newsom did this on the debate stage in the gubernatorial debate for California. Every time something he had gotten his way on, ultimately, was pointed to by his Republican rival as being a failure, all Newsom would do is aggressively, with the help of the moderators, throw out number after number after number, stat after stat after stat on what he had been trying to do, and then angrily put a finger in the face of his Republican rival and say, you opposed me at every turn. You opposed me. As if to leave the impression that all these failures are because of Republican opposition. See, if Democrats get their way and it doesn't work, then they just point to the fact that Republicans tried to stop them and say, ah, well, the reason it didn't work is because you wouldn't go along with it. Regardless whether they got it passed anyways, regardless whether they tried it their way anyways. Meanwhile, Republicans are looking nonplussed, like, yeah, but you did it anyways, and it didn't work. Of course, I'm opposed to it. What else would I do except oppose the thing that I knew on the front end wasn't going to work? And again, as I say, a whole lot of Americans in the middle, all they know for absolute sure is that their political philosophy is not having to deal with this kind of stress on a daily basis. And the Democrats count on that. That's why they get ugly and they make it uncomfortable. And Republicans, for their part, consistently waffle between just giving the Democrats what they want, but light, just a little slower, the Republican version of what the Democrats are wanting, or they water down their fighters, or in the case of whatever Trump is playing at, they threaten and bully publicly those in their midst who are actually being clear because they're a threat. Rather than growing the pie, let's fight over the limited amount of pie that there is. Great idea. I don't know if there's any truth to it. MSNBC's panelists were discussing yesterday how this midterm election is shaping up, what the expectations were versus what the reality is turning out to be. Chris Hayes is here to tell Republicans that Trump is to blame for the midterm failures. He screwed you today. Trump is not popular. He's very contentious. And however that may be true, part of the reason why Trump is so unpopular is because the media lost their minds over Trump. And a lot of Americans only know one thing, that they don't want all the drama. Just make the drama stop, please. That's all I ask. To some extent, it feels like... (laughs) an abusive relationship. Trump becomes this deplorable bogeyman for the media and for Democrats who then gin up their hatred for him. And even if he's not on the ballot, if he endorsed anybody, they're going to say, ah, you did this to yourself. You have no one but your, you have no one but yourself to blame. 
it's your fault that you guys lost. And I think to myself, I voted for him twice. I hope he doesn't run again in 2024. I don't think he should run in 2024. Certainly not the way he's relating to Ron DeSantis. I think he lacks discipline and self-control. But I also think there's a lot of Americans who similarly lack discipline and self-control. And they're defiant because they're tired of being told what they can and cannot say, who they can and cannot be. They're tired of being mocked, ridiculed, shut out, disparaged, talked down to, dehumanized. I think those Americans look at this climate right now, and I think they see Chris Hayes telling them Trump is to blame for the midterm failures, like some reporting from Carlos Garcia at The Blaze points out or draws attention to. I think they look at that and they think, I don't believe you. And the trouble is, where does it stop? The Trump voters are told, this is your fault. You did this to yourself. You have no one but yourself to blame. By the media that did all that it could to pile on to every conspiracy theory, every allegation, every insinuation, every scandal, even if it wasn't a scandal, about the president or Republicans in general or anybody that was in the previous administration, everyone who even wants to just go on a college campus and speak and communicate conservative ideas. We're not even talking running for office. We're just talking, talking on social media, in the academy, in the public square. The same media that makes that into this end of the world, the sky is falling, we're all going to die from climate change and not being able to have abortions and transgendered kids committing suicide, et cetera, et cetera. The same media that cannot be hyperbolic enough whenever their pet agendas are threatened or rolled back wants to tell Republicans, this is your fault for Trump. This is what you get. And it's an abusive relationship. It's an abusive relationship when it comes to the media and the truth, and justice, and it's mutual, right? On the one hand, you have the media not being listened to by Republicans who are tired of being lied to and lied about. On the other hand, you have the media diametrically opposed to the interests of the people they're maligning, not willing to listen to them either. How can a country in that circumstance govern together? make decisions together. My wife sent me a little something. It was a screenshot of a tweet from Right Response M. I thought it was pretty interesting with regards to the evangelical vote. Pastors like Timothy Keller drum up votes for Democrats with their progressivism, and pastors like John Piper tamp down votes for Republicans with their pietism. Wake up, Christians. Keep it simple. Vote for the candidate that hates your children the least. That is a very simple way to frame it. I'm afraid this is a pretty accurate summation. Besides just the media, besides what the politicians themselves are doing and saying to cool enthusiasm, as I've already mentioned, moderating themselves to the point that it's just like the sugar-free diet Democrat 
proposal when Republicans are running in too many cases. This is a piece of it, too, that our theology doesn't know how to inform our voting. Not when we're told separation of church and state works one direction, but it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't stop you from having your faith inform your voting if you'll vote Democrat. No, no. Then we change the script and we say, you've got to be peaceable and let's not divide over politics. But if you're saying your Christian faith, your theology, what the Bible actually says, leads you to vote Republican, conservative, have conservative positions, well then, here's John Piper. Here's John Piper with pietism to basically spiritualize neutrality and say, let's just stay out of all of that. And some will look at this very uncertain outcome the day after the midterm election, and they'll say, ah, see, what's the point of being involved at all? What's the point of paying attention to the news? It's a lot of stress and for no good purpose. It's like you said, Garrett, not likely that our fellow Americans are going to be persuaded or persuadable. They don't, they're not paying attention, so why should I pay attention? Also, too, it doesn't matter if we all vote because you, you just said Democrats are going to cheat. But I'm saying this is part of how they cheat. This is part of the way that they win. And if you win by cheating, but you're allowed to, nobody calls you on it, it's still a win. If we've convinced ourselves that our theology only comes into play with our politics when it comes to not debating, not reasoning with, not arguing for any specific proposals, because that's what Jesus would do, I dare say our guides have swallowed up the course of our paths, and we're living in judgment. And I'm sad to say that that's what it is, but I'm also still hopeful you know, I've got work to go to, to get to. We just built two new shelves for our sitting room, turned dining room downstairs. We just got new flooring put in. I'm very concerned about the economy, very concerned about the social imaginary, very concerned about the direction this country is going. But I put my hope in God. I am going to keep on reading. I am going to keep on thinking about these things. I am going to be talking about these things. I am going to be trying to publicly reason with my fellow Americans. I have eight children. However fatalistic somebody wants to get about, it's all going to burn anyways. No, 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 no. I think that's a godless attitude when I have eight children and a responsibility to them before God, to provide for them, to protect them, to discipline them, to instruct them. Lord willing, my eight children have children someday. A righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That means I've got to be working right now to pass something down to them. There has to be something to pass down to them. And it doesn't just happen on its own. I refuse to be fatalistic because, quite frankly, that's suicide. The fatalism is so bad, it is self-destruction. And I'm not going down that road. I refuse to accept that. I refuse to agree with that. Are things looking not so good? Yes. Are we in trouble? Yes. Does that mean we should despair? Absolutely not. So, I got to run. I got to get to work. Speaking of, I'm going to go and try to do my part to get your 
fuel and utilities costs down a little bit. And we'll see. We'll see what shakes out. Put your hope in God. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That still holds true, regardless of how an election goes, fair or foul. Don't despair. Don't grow weary of doing good. Persevere. Keep the faith. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.